0: Red salute. Welcome to the Manifestering Podcast. If you want to support this project, which allows me more time to produce and release content, you can do so on my website, manifesteringpodcast.com. There's a link to my Patreon, as well as a donation button that allows you to just donate through the site itself. You can also do so on my anchor.fm page. Just search for Manifestering Podcast. Thanks so much for helping me keep revolutionary media alive. 3.5.1.2 Secret Self-Defense Squads Secret squads are necessary to supplement the open defense teams, or where, due to repression, it is not possible to form such teams. They also are formed with the broad objective of defending the urban mass movement. However, they take up different tasks without exposing themselves. One significant form of activity is to participate along with the masses and give them the confidence to undertake militant mass action. Other tasks are to secretly hit particular targets who are obstacles in the advance of the mass movement. The secret squads require proper military training and military and political education. The extent and depth of the training will depend on the facilities available, but we must make the best efforts to ensure that the squads are properly trained and armed. The arms used will depend on the situation in the area. As much as possible, arms which are not normally used in the area should not be employed. Due attention should be paid to the discipline of such squads. Selection of members should not be merely on the basis of military abilities, but should consider the political level and discipline of the comrades. All squad members maintain their jobs or other responsibilities and only gather for the purpose of training or actions they disperse again immediately after that. The squad should function under direct and strict party control, with each squad functioning under a responsible party comrade. As much as possible, no two squads should be combined for performing an action. The knowledge of the existence of such squads should also be restricted as possible. Each squad is a separate entity, and there should not be any separate line of command within the self-defense squads all state committees should periodically review the activities of such formations and give guidelines to the committees immediately responsible for them. 3.5.1.3 Urban Militia At this stage of the revolution, all the open and secret organs of people's defense will maintain a separate identity and the party will be the only body coordinating their activities. Today, There is no capacity for bringing together all or many of the self-defense teams and squads under a single organizational mechanism to form a militia. This may be possible during certain periods of upsurge when significant sections of the urban population are ready to take up arms either against the fascist militias or against the state. At such times, the party should take immediate initiative to launch urban militia without exposing all its forces. The concrete organizational form of such an urban militia would, however, depend on the particular situation and the specific forces operating at that time. 3.5.1.4 Local Intelligence Intelligence is a much neglected function in our party. Very often we suffer severe losses or lose good opportunities due to the absence of proper intelligence. In the urban areas, intelligence is also very necessary to protect and preserve the urban party as well as the mass movement. Thus, the task of information collection and analysis should be taken up from the beginning and responsibility should be allocated accordingly. As the organization grows this task, responsibility should exist at all levels and should be integrated into the functioning of the organization. The objectives of our intelligence work should be to learn about and study the tactics and plans of the enemy forces in the area, to study the activities of informers, to prevent infiltration into the organization, etc. The methods and structure, particularly at the lower levels, should be as simple as possible and should utilize to the maximum the forces available to us from among the masses. 3.5.2 Help to the Rural armed Struggle There are numerous ways through which the urban movement can assist the rural armed struggle, and particularly, the base areas and the guerrilla zones. Some involve direct and immediate help in terms of materials and personnel. Others involve the long-term preparation for the decisive battles in the later stages of the People's War. 3.5.2.1 Work in Key Industries Some industries like transport, communications, power, oil and natural gas, defense, production, etc., can play a crucial role in the People's War. Disruption of production in these industries has an immediate impact on the enemy's ability to fight the war. If struggles in such industries are coordinated with developments in the People's War, they can provide direct assistance to the PGA-PLA. Party-led units within such industries can also perform industrial sabotage actions, which would provide effective assistance during certain points in the war. It is thus the responsibility of the urban organization to establish a presence and influence in such key industries. Such operations will normally be necessary at later stages in the war. However, we have to make long-term preparations from today so that the workers in such industries can be sufficiently politicized to play such a role. This means that we have to give importance to allocation of cadre for such industries right from the beginning. The key industries have normally been in the public sector. Now, however, with the policy of privatization, many of the old units are being privatized and new units are being set up directly in the private sector. Thus, some of these industries like the electricity boards and telecommunications department, are experiencing many militant struggles in opposition to the privatization policies, and there has been a significant revival of the trade unions. In the context of the general upswing of the workers' movement, the workers of other key industries are also resorting to struggle. We can therefore make use of this situation to try to influence the workers in these industries. Our plan for the key industries should operate at two levels. At one level, we can influence the workers in these industries from the outside through various forms of propaganda, particularly during the struggles of these industries. This can be done through legal democratic workers' organizations, workers' magazines, and secret pamphleteering and even through party statements. We can also mobilize in solidarity with them. This method can create some broad influence among the workers and a level of unity from above with the trade unions already operating within these enterprises. At another level, we should send comrades to secretly develop fractional work from within the industry. This work should be done with a long-term approach taking care to avoid exposure. The comrades doing propaganda and extending solidarity from the outside need not know about the existence of the work being conducted from within. It is also not necessary to do work at both levels at the same unit. Due to the critical character of these industries, the enemy is also very conscious of the need to prevent any revolutionary or other genuine struggling forces from entering such industries. We therefore have to be very guarded and careful while entering and working within such enterprises. All work in such places should be under cover of some sort. Fractional work is the normal method. The work in such industries should normally be separated from the other work in that area. Even reporting in committee should be restricted, particularly at the initial stages, before any base is established. Cadre allocated to such work should not be those who would quickly retreat. Once allocated, they should not normally be transferred for a long period of time. PRs generated from such industries should, as far as possible, be maintained within the same industry, without asking them to leave their jobs. Considering the present opportunities available and considering our neglect so far, we should plan to use our limited subjective forces immediately in the best way possible. Depending on our contacts and the quality of our forces, we should decide on certain areas and industries on which we should concentrate. Since such work is not easy to start and maintain, it requires the attention and guidance of the higher levels. Considering the importance of this task for the future of the People's War, the State Committee should pay attention to it. 3.5.2.2 Infiltration into the Enemy Camp It is very important to penetrate into the military, paramilitary forces, police, and higher levels of the administrative machinery of the state. It is necessary to obtain information regarding the enemy, to build support for the revolution within these organs, and even to incite revolt when the time is ripe. Other types of technical help are also possible. The cities are the strongholds of the enemy and have a large concentration of enemy forces. It is therefore from the cities that attention must be given to this task. Such work can be done by following up contacts obtained from the civilian sphere or by directly allocating comrades to penetrate the enemy ranks. Whatever the method, the work is of a very special type which requires a high degree of political reliability, skill, and patience. Such work should be without the knowledge of the lower level committees and the details of the work should only remain with the comrades directly responsible. Associated with this task is the need for a plan to work in the containment towns spread out throughout the country. Such work, even among the civilian population of these towns, can give us valuable information and openings for penetration in the enemy ranks. 3.5.2.3 Sending Cadre to the Rural Areas in the PGA-PLA A steady supply of urban cadre is necessary to fulfill the needs of the rural movement and the People's War. This is necessary for providing working-class leadership as well as technical skills to the People's War. This then is the responsibility of the whole urban party organization from the cell upwards, which should inspire comrades to be prepared to take up rural responsibilities. The task of generating new cadre for the rural movement should always be before the various party forums, which should send up proposals for transfer of suitable cadre. It is the higher-level bodies, particularly the state committees, which will, however, make the decision in this regard. Decisions of transfer of cadre should take a balanced account of the needs of the movement and organization in both rural as well as urban areas. To fulfill the need of recruitment from workers in large numbers and send them to the rural areas, we need to work in the unorganized sector where overwhelming percentage of the working class is. While we need to work in key industries, which are organized sector for strategic reasons, we must mobilize and organize millions of workers who are in the unorganized segment. The working conditions are horrendous in this sector, and militant struggles are bound to come up here. Most of the working class has live connections with backward rural pockets in some of which armed struggles are already going on. If we work patiently, we can get good recruitment that we can send to the areas of armed struggle zones. 3.5.2.4 Logistical Support to the Armed Struggle The enemy gets all its logistics support from the urban areas. The People's Army, however, relies as much as possible on the rural areas and the rural masses. However, for certain crucial things, there is a need for support from the urban areas. Depending on its strength, the urban organization should make all efforts to provide such support. Supplies or contacts for supplies of certain types are only available in the urban areas. Examples of such supplies are arms and ammunitions, spare parts, certain types of medical supplies, etc. Helping the People's Army to establish the supply lines in this regard is a task that the urban organization can perform. However, once such a supply line is established, it is best maintained by the rural organization. As the needs of the base areas and guerrilla zones grow, there will be even a need to establish a separate supply and transport wing in this regard. Medical networks of sympathetic doctors and the use of hospital facilities to treat PGA PLA fighters are also necessary in the urban areas. This is necessary for certain cases that cannot be treated with the facilities available in the guerrilla zone areas. Here, too, the urban party should always be on the lookout for sources and contacts to set up such a network in various cities. Once a network has been established, however, it should be separated from the party bodies leading the urban mass work. Technical help in the form of repairs and maintenance of fighting, communication, and other equipment of the PGA-PLA is another area where the urban organization has to provide assistance. Preparing comrades with technical, electrical, electronic, and other skills to go and take up such responsibilities in the countryside is best. It can also be done by sending city comrades to conduct training courses for the PGA-PLA. In some cases, where necessary, the repair of some equipment can be done in the urban areas. Providing the contacts to help set up a network for production of certain items in the urban areas is also another area of necessary help. Development of new technologies for the People's War is another crucial area. With the daily advance of technology, there are numerous new devices that could be adapted in the service of the People's War. Since the large metropolitan centers are the points where such technologies or the information regarding such technologies are obtained, it would be the responsibility of all comrades in such areas to be ever alert to any opportunity in this regard. Proposals and devices obtained or developed should be sent to the higher committees for consideration and implementation. Since it would be necessary in the future to set up separate research and development wings in this regard, it would be the task of the urban organization to develop suitable comrades for such work. All of the above logistical tasks can be implemented successfully only when all urban comrades are alive and alert to these needs and constantly present suggestions, proposals, and contacts in this regard. And the wider and deeper the urban mass base the better is the possibility of actually providing assistance to the rural work. However, we must realize that this task cannot be performed spontaneously in response to emergency need. Logistical networks should be established in absolute secrecy over a period of time. Separate comrades should be allocated for such work, and once they are so allocated, they should be released from other work and delinked completely from the mass work. It is only in such a manner that we can create networks that can serve the long term needs of the people's war. 3.5.3 Urban Military Operations Under Central Direction Though the countryside is the main area of operations of the people's army, there are certain military objectives that need to be performed through operations in the urban areas. This even requires the setting up of permanent structures of the PGA slash PLA in the cities and towns. 3.5.3.1, city action teams. These action teams are small secret teams of disciplined and trained soldiers of the PGA slash PLA who are permanently based in the cities or towns to hit important, selected enemy targets. Such targets may be the annihilation of individuals of military importance or sabotage actions like the blowing up of ammunition depots, destroying communications networks, damaging oil installations, etc. These action teams, which form part of the main force of the PGA-PLA, perform these actions under the guidance and orders of their respective command. Thus... These teams should have no connection whatsoever with the local urban party structure. The selection of targets and timing of operations, too, would be based on the overall political and military needs of the People's War. However, the secret team should have some broad understanding of the schedules and plans of the programs of the open mass organizations. This could, where possible help prevent problems due to clashes between the open and secret plans. For details regarding the role, the Central Military Commission or CMC should undertake tasks, training, and education of the city action teams. 3.5.3.2 Central Intelligence Since the enemy is centered in the big cities, it is very important that our party develops a network to obtain and and analyze political and military intelligence at higher levels. Besides human intelligence, we can make use of the internet and other modern electronic means for gathering information by entering the enemy's networks. For this, it is necessary to allocate separate responsibility. Urban party organizations may provide contacts and individuals for this work. However, once they are assigned to this work, they do not maintain any links with the local organization. Such networks are led and directed by the highest bodies of the party. 3.5.3.3 Cyber Warfare We should, to the extent possible, make use of computers and the internet network to further the military objectives of the revolution. Though we are today quite distant from this possibility, we should have the perspective of setting up units with the task of damaging the military and other important networks of the enemy. The possibility of setting up such a structure, however, depends primarily on the development of the urban mass movement and the ability of the urban party organization to draw in and consolidate comrades with the required skills for such work. 3.6 All India and State Level Plans The above given policy and guidelines give the political and organizational orientation for our urban work. This is the basis on which our work in the various towns and cities should be reorganized. However, it is not sufficient to only reorient our work at the level of particular towns and cities. Equally important is the task of giving a plan and direction to the overall urban work in a particular state and in the whole country based on the concrete objective conditions and situation of subjective forces. It is also necessary to relate and coordinate the tasks of the urban movement to the overall needs of the revolution in the country or in a particular state. There is also to some extent the need to coordinate the urban movement with our international responsibilities both at the South Asia as well as the global levels. The job of drawing up such plans and the committees at their respective levels should take up implementing them. We present here the broad basis for drawing up such plans. 3.6.1 Factors Governing All India Perspective Plan Drawing up the All India Perspective Plan means basically selecting the cities, industries, or regions where we should concentrate and give priority. It can further mean the evaluation of the available subjective forces, and deciding on a suitable allocation. The main factors for deciding on areas of concentration are: one: All-India perspective and plan for guerrilla zones and base areas. Since the urban movement basically plays a role complementary to the rural armed struggle, the All-India plan for developing the armed struggle is a crucial factor for deciding on our pattern of concentration, for urban work we should give importance to cities and towns that can play a direct role in helping and strengthening our base areas and guerrilla zones. 2. Concentration of the working class. The working class is the main focus of our efforts in the urban areas. We should therefore target such cities and regions that have a high concentration of the industrial working class. We should judge the importance of a region's working class not only on the basis of numbers, but also take into account its role in the terms of struggle. The working class in some centers has a tradition of struggle, thus influencing and providing leadership to the surrounding areas. Some cities have strong working class organizations that play a decisive role in all India-level struggles. Such factors too must be taken into account for giving importance to a particular center. Another important short-term consideration is the sharpening of class contradictions. A center or industry experiencing sharp and growing struggles is more suited for starting work. 3. Importance for the ruling classes Some cities like Delhi and Mumbai have great political and economic significance for the ruling class. Strong movements in such cities cripple and paralyze the ruling class and have greater impact. 4. Key Industries The centers of key industries should be given importance as they have the potential to play an important role in the people's war. 5. Towns of Military Importance These two should be given importance because they present the opportunity to infiltrate into the enemy ranks. 3.6.2. 3.6.2 State Plans State committees should analyze and identify the main types of urban and industrial areas in their states. On the basis of such analysis, the priority areas should be selected, keeping in mind the following criteria 1. All India and State GZ rural perspective, as well as the All India urban perspective. 2. Concentration of working class and sharpening of class contradictions. 3. Concentration of students and other petite bourgeois sections and their struggles. 4. Political importance within the state. and 5. Key industries. Class analysis of the major towns selected for work should also be done. Deciding on the priority areas gives the broad direction for the allocation of subjective forces, which are or may become available. The concrete plan depends on the nature of forces that are actually available. Chapter 4. Review of our Understanding and Practice Following the Naxalbari upsurge and at the time of the English or First Congress of our party in 1970, we had considerable impact and influence in a number of cities. We were a powerful force in Kolkata, at the time the largest city in the country. The revolutionary wave inspired workers in various industrial centers, particularly Kolkata, Durgapur, Coimbatore, Jamshedpur and Donbad. However, Due to the wrong understanding regarding mass organizations and mass struggles that prevailed in our party at the time, we could not preserve and develop our influence. Our policy was that, quote, it is not our task to organize trade unions or to bring them under our control or to bother ourselves about the trade union elections. Our task is to build secret party organizations among the workers, unquote. We thus, in fact, boycotted the trade unions and as a consequence were alienated from the working class. Similarly, wrong understanding of laying stress on urban guerrilla warfare when there were no conditions for it led to setbacks in our city work. At that time, though there were no circulars or policy documents regarding urban or working class work, there were some articles and notes by Comrade CM that appeared in the party magazines which served as the guidelines for our work. 4.1.1 1973 Circular Though this document was only intended to be circular, giving methods to resolve contradictions between the needs of open and secret work, it also gave an explicit understanding regarding the program, tasks, and form of organization for the working class, students, and other fronts. It therefore served as the principal document guiding urban work and the erstwhile P.W. for many years. The 1973 document played an important role in giving a correct direction to urban work. The crucial points on which it presented a correct understanding were 1. It corrected most of the earlier wrong notions regarding mass organizations and mass struggle. 2. It broadly gave the correct strategic approach to urban work that the party in the cities and towns should use secret methods to preserve itself from the enemy until the last stage of liberation of the cities from the countryside. Three, it correctly stated that in the cities and towns, we should concentrate mainly among workers. As to its limitations, it was not a comprehensive document on urban work, and it dealt more with the immediate problems that we then faced in the urban areas. It had some wrong understandings, such as, we should not take up office bearers' posts in the unions, we should not organize independent trade unions by ourselves, and so on. This was a continuation of the earlier wrong understanding regarding mass organizations. The 1973 circular played a significant role in the initial period, but in later years, with the rapid spread of mass organizations in the urban areas, there was no attempt to correct the understanding, and further develop the circular in a comprehensive manner. Thus, many of the important formulations of the document were not implemented in practice. Though the document had stated that the main concentration should be on the working class, the emphasis in the urban areas was more on the students and youth. The ban on taking union office bearers post and the opposition of forming separate trade unions also were not implemented in practice. These were done without formally developing a new policy understanding. 4.1.2 1987 Guidelines These guidelines were formulated in accordance with the call of the 1987 Central Conference of the erstwhile PU to, quote, grasp the work in the working class front seriously, unquote. This document presented in a concise and clear manner the objective and subjective situation in relation to the working class, our tasks and policies, and a plan for work. The document was significant in presenting a correct understanding regarding the leadership role of the working class in the revolution. It stressed the leadership role of the working class struggles in sending advanced detachments to the countryside and the party's responsibility in preparing the working class for this role. The major defect of the document was its neglect of the strategic approach to urban work. Thus, there was no understanding regarding the relation and coordination between open and secret work and the need to preserve and develop our urban forces for a long time until the later stages of the People's War. The plan of the document was not seriously implemented, nor was it reviewed. It thus could not have a major impact. 4.1.3 1995 Review The erstwhile PW's APSC's review did not restrict itself to just a review of the earlier document. It also laid down the goals and tasks of the urban movement in AP. It was a development of the 1973 circular. A significant point that the document correctly reviewed was the lack of necessary concentration on the urban work. It concluded that though we correctly gave importance to agrarian revolution and guerrilla zones, we did not concentrate to the extent required on the cities. It analyzed the spontaneous shifts from urban to rural areas and pointed out the lack of a long-term perspective for urban work. It also corrected the 1973 document's wrong understanding regarding not taking up office bearers' posts in the unions. The document, however, did not try to present a comprehensive policy for urban work. It also did not bring about the necessary reorganization of the work. 4.2 Our Main Shortcomings The above documents and the reviews done at conferences and plenums at various levels have pointed out various faults and weaknesses in our urban work at various points of time. It is necessary to develop a comprehensive picture of our main shortcomings as a whole. 4.2.1 Lack of Concentration on Urban Work Throughout the past thirty years, and in most of the main areas of the party's work, there has been a disregard towards the tasks of the urban movement and the party. As the Ninth Congress POR concluded, quote, We have failed to grasp the dialectical relationship between the rural and urban movements. Having understood the formulation that rural work is primary and urban work is secondary in a mechanical way, we concentrated most of our leadership forces only in rural work, A culture was created in the organization where only the rural work was seen as field work or struggle area work, whereas the urban areas were seen to be out of the field and non-struggle area work all the best and most committed cadres would therefore opt for and be transferred out of the urban field. Therefore, as many examples in 1995 review point out, cadre were spontaneously transferred out to rural areas without considering the future of the urban areas that were being emptied out. The more serious manifestation of this understanding was, however, in the serious lack of concentration and specialization by the higher committees. Very few were allocated to the tasks of the urban movement, and even those who were given the responsibility were normally burdened with numerous other tasks. This led to severe problems at various levels. Without higher-level cadre in the field directing the work, there was a low possibility of correcting the wrong understanding at the lower levels regarding the long-term strategic approach. Though this mistake was referred to time and time again in our reviews and documents, without specialization, there also was no hope of the higher committees themselves to deepen their poor understanding of the problems of implementing the strategic approach. Without specialization and allocation of higher-level comrades, the old mistakes only continued. All this took place despite our understanding repeated in documents that the importance of the urban areas in India is growing that the percentage of the working class and the urban population in India is much higher than it was at the time of the Chinese Revolution and that therefore the urban areas and the working class in India will have a relatively more important role to play in the revolution. Today, the urban areas with 28.7% of the population and over 60% of the gross domestic product with many major megacities have a growing role to play in the country and the economy and also in the revolution. It is therefore absolutely necessary to quickly correct the imbalance in our concentration on the tasks of the urban movement. It is necessary most of all to increase our allocation of higher level comrades to urban field work. It is necessary to increase the specialization and knowledge levels of the higher level committees regarding the urban work. And it is also necessary where possible to allocate suitable comrades at other levels too or at least give greater consideration to the needs of the urban movement also when deciding regarding transfers out of the cities. 4.2.2 Lack of concentration on the working class within urban work The 1973 document correctly stated that in the urban areas we should mainly concentrate among the workers. Since our movement had faced a severe setback by 1972 and plans were afoot to put our movement on the track, we needed to strengthen our subjective forces at a faster pace. To achieve this, we concentrated on the students and youth from a practical angle, but this practice was not based on any theoretical premise. When our forces grew and we were in a better position, we made plans to penetrate into the working class. In the process of the enemy's onslaught and our continued weaknesses in our work in the urban areas, we became much weakened as losses mounted steeply. Lack of comprehensive approach towards urban work and lack of concentration from the leadership are the main reasons for our weak roots in the working class. 4.2.3 Neglect of Developing Party Leadership from the Proletariat Despite being the party of the working class, Recruitment from the workers has been low, and leadership from the proletariat still lower. Part of the reason for this was due to our deficiency in concentrating on the workers, and particularly on the organized workers who have a greater potential for leadership. Building leadership from among the workers requires conscious attention and effort. Unless we realize the importance of building working class leadership, we will not put in the necessary efforts to achieve it. It is only in the 9th Congress that we have specifically resolved to give importance to this task. We should now bring it into practice. 4.2.4 Lack of Deep Understanding of the Strategic Approach in Urban Work We have regularly given prime importance to the long-term strategic approach in our documents and for some years have been reviewing that the lack of this approach has been the cause of most of our losses in the urban areas. However, we have merely understood or explained it at the level of stricter implementation of tech precautions and secret methods of functioning. We have not understood that the correct strategic approach is essentially a task of basically reorienting and reorganizing the whole urban work based on the effective combination of illegal and legal forms of organizations. Without accepting, deeply understanding, and educating all levels regarding this strategic approach towards the urban movement, we cannot bring about a qualitative change in our urban work. The widest possible mobilization and organization of the masses is essential to challenge the overwhelming domination of the enemy in the urban areas. Secret functioning and the long-term preservation of our forces are only possible within the context of a wide and deep mass movement. Since we are working in the backdrop of the semi-feudal and semi-colonial conditions, we need to go in for militant struggles and actions against the management as the majority of the industrial working class is employed in the unorganized sector and is forced to work under unbearable conditions without any access to minimum protective labor laws. However, we cannot repeatedly replicate in the city the offensive tactics suited to the rural movement and expect to survive merely on the basis of stricter tech functioning. Strategically understanding the strength of the enemy in the city means accepting that we cannot openly challenge him on a military basis. Thus, we cannot expect to regularly use armed strength to threaten factory owners, conduct negotiations through secret organizers, or annihilate managers, as would be possible in rural areas of a guerrilla zone and we cannot hope that we can do all such things and still survive merely by using better tech methods. This does not of course deny the absolute importance in urban work of the strict maintenance of tech precautions, natural covers, functioning through layers, and all other means of proper secret functioning. We must thoroughly reevaluate our tech methods in all cities, and a total revamping of our secret mechanism should be an essential part of reorganizing our urban work. We must, however, understand that secret functioning is only one important aspect of the strategic approach of preserving our forces for a long time. Secret functioning itself is based on the mobilization and support of the broad masses. 4.2.5 Lack of clarity on combining the various types of mass organizations We did not have the clarity regarding the various forms of mobilizing the masses in the urban areas and how to skillfully use these in combination depending on the concrete situation and ebb and flow of the movement. We first placed main stress on the open revolutionary mass organizations, which maintained clear links with the party. With the onset of repression, we tried to operate these organizations secretly and still tried to mobilize the masses principally through them. It was only much later that we realized that secret mass organizations could not be the only form of mass mobilizing in the urban areas and in the repressive conditions. It was only then that we introduced the concept of the cover organization. Even at this time, we laid excessive stress on the formation of new cover organizations by us and did not give sufficient importance to fractional work within the existing mass organizations already working among the people. We did not understand that such type of fractional work is an important form of mass organizing in the urban areas, which are all controlled and repressed by the enemy. We thought that only those organizations explicitly under the control of the party were revolutionary organizations. We did not see that through proper fractional work we could remain under cover and yet guide an organization to play a revolutionary role. Our education regarding cover organizations also gave a one-sided emphasis on the aspect of maintaining the cover of the organization and preventing its exposure. We did not stress the aspect that the broadest mobilization of the masses and the unification of large sections of the non-party masses under the mass organizations provide the best cover possible. Further, we did not understand the concept, role, and importance of the legal democratic organizations and movement. Here, too, we only understood that we should restrict the program and tasks so as to maintain legality. We did not see the importance of uniting the broadest sections ready to work resolutely on a minimum program. After years of experience, we have corrected some sectarian misconceptions but we yet need to further develop our understanding and education at all levels regarding the role, the importance, and the use of the legal democratic organization within the urban movement. We formed several secret mass organizations at various times. Many of these secret mass organizations were formed after severe repression on the open revolutionary mass organizations, which prevented them from functioning. Our response to the repression, then, was to run these same organizations from the underground. Our only change while running the secret organizations was regarding the methods of secret functioning. We expected that the secret organizations would perform the same functions and tasks that were earlier performed by the open organizations. We did not see the need to substantially change the role, tasks, and structure of the new secret organization. We should understand the limitations of the secret organizations in carrying out broad mass mobilization like the earlier open revolutionary mass organizations. We should therefore assign such tasks to the secret organization that it is best able to perform, like secret revolutionary propaganda, organizing the masses secretly, and carrying out militant actions when necessary. we should reallocate those unexposed forces of the old open revolutionary organization to fractional or other type of cover work. This would ensure the continuation of the task of mass mobilization through other means. 4.2.6 Negligence and Secret Functioning Our POR has listed in detail the various lapses in secret functioning, like not building covers, not building and functioning through layers, and other technical errors. At the root of these errors is our superficial understanding of our long-term strategic approach and our lack of a proper grasp of the balance and relationship between open and secret work. A quick results, shortcut approach, and liberalism are further reasons for the mistakes. 4.2.7. Lack of an all-India perspective. This is also a shortcoming. In the earlier period when urban work was restricted to a few pockets, the seriousness of this deficiency was relatively less. However, with the intensification of the People's War and the spread of the party to most of the major urban centers in the country, the need to have an all India urban and working class perspective has become urgent we should draw up such a perspective and plan the deployment and utilization of our subjective forces on that basis. 4.3. Principal Defect in Our Understanding The above shortcomings are basically rooted in our defective understanding regarding the role of urban work and particularly the role of the working class in the Indian Revolution. As mentioned earlier in this document, 3.1.1, the 9th Congress has given a precise and unambiguous understanding regarding the role of the working class in the revolution. Though we had the correct understanding about the role of the working class leading the revolution, we could not provide sufficient cadre to concentrate on the working class. There was not much concentration on the part of the leadership as we concentrated on building the agrarian revolution. Though we allotted cadre for the development of working class movement, Because of the lack of long-term approach and due to repression, we lost many valuable cadres who were working in the urban areas, and we faced severe losses. Though not existing at a theoretical level, there was to some extent a wrong notion in the minds of the party committees at various levels that we need to depend upon the petite bourgeois sections, like students, for developing leading cadres. This was reflected in our practice in various states to a considerable extent, An important factor that contributed to this practice is the relative ease with which we can recruit cadre from the students and youth when compared with the workers and the pressure of immediate needs of revolution to be fulfilled. The ninth Congress has given the task of building a proletarian base and to develop leadership cadre from the working class. If we rectify our mistakes, taking lessons from the past, we can certainly overcome the present shortcoming. Chapter five, immediate tasks. After formulating the policy and guidelines for urban work and after reviewing our past, the ninth Congress POR calls upon the party to launch a campaign to reorganize the work according to the new guidelines. Implementing this campaign call of the POR systematically and thoroughly should thus be the main focus of our immediate tasks. Depending upon the objective reality and subjective situation in our respective areas, and based on our policy and guidelines, we should draw up a step-by-step area-wise program to educate the party, evaluate our work, identify the areas for change, and draw up concrete plans and perspectives, and follow up their implementation in a thorough manner. 5.1 Introduce urban and working-class specialization in the higher committees. The highest committees must be the starting point. In the CC, PB, and RBs, and in those SCs where there is the possibility of substantial urban work, there must be the allocation of members to specialize in the urban work. Where the volume and nature of work demands it, subcommittees should be formed. Their tasks will be to thoroughly implement the urban policy and guidelines, to closely study and solve problems in the field, to study the enemy, anticipate its moves and pre-plan accordingly, to theorize based on the field experiences, and to thus centralize the wealth of new ideas constantly emerging from the field so that they may be quickly implemented in all places. At this stage, the same comrades will also have to concentrate on the tasks of the working class field, This means coordinating the working class work in various centers, guiding the working class organizations and fronts, preparing syllabus and materials for political education, and training of cadre in the working class work, studying the developing trends in the working class movement and planning accordingly, and responding with quick decisions at the political and tactical level to the numerous spontaneous events occurring amidst the ongoing upsurge of working class struggles. 5.2 5.2 Draw up all India and state level perspective plans. The higher committees, and particularly the comrades allocated to specialize, should formulate and decide upon their prospective urban areas and industries at their respective levels. Deciding on the perspective gives priority and direction to concretely plan. It ensures that the allocation of subjective forces does not move spontaneously but according to a plan. By studying the urban process in the light of our policy and strategy, and on the basis of a town analysis and industrial analysis, the city towns and industries to be focused upon should be decided. A simple class analysis of existing work areas and potential towns should also be conducted. This will help in deciding the priority and taking concrete decisions. The actual allocation will naturally be on the basis of the subjective forces available and the overall plans of the responsible committee. However, we must while allocating forces for the urban work, be cautious and only allot comrades who will have a good chance of adjusting to the urban work and continuing for some time. Unlike the rural areas where retreat by a comrade need not lead to much exposure, the retreat of an urban comrade can lead to considerable problems for an urban organization. 5.3. Reorient and reorganize the urban organization with a long-term strategic approach. Many of our urban work areas are not working according to a long-term strategic approach. Many areas have had to close down because of exposure and losses. Many areas have tried to introduce a strategic approach through a trial-and-error method derived from the day-to-day field experiences of facing the enemy. They have made considerable progress, but deficiencies remain. Thus, today, different areas follow different practices based not only on the different levels of repression they are facing, but also on subjective factors like the approach of the area and state leadership or the differing work patterns and styles inherited from the past. This has continued due to the neglect of urban work in general, and in particular, due to the absence of a common set of policies and guidelines throughout the party. Having now adopted common policies and guidelines, we should work to reorient and reorganize the urban work throughout the party with a long-term strategic approach. This task should be taken up as a campaign closely guided and monitored by the state committees. It should be a step-by-step process involving the education of all urban cadre, according to the urban policy, particularly stressing various aspects of the long-term strategic approach, evaluating the functioning and structure of the urban organization at all levels, both party and mass organizational, and taking decisions to correct or improve existing practices, setting targets for implementing the changes decided upon, and following up so that they are implemented according to a plan and, if necessary, reallocating forces according to the above evaluation and also according to the prospective plans drawn up by the higher committees. The essential element in the effective implementation of such a campaign is the closest participation by the higher committees. Questions, doubts, and practical problems are bound to emerge in the course of implementation To solve this requires the involvement of higher committee members who can provide answers and devise ways to resolve any problems that may come up. What we should aim to do is see that every PM and activist operating in the city deeply understands the long-term strategic approach, has full faith and confidence in this understanding, implements it in day-to-day practice, and tries to develop it to new levels. 5.4 widely mobilize the urban masses, particularly the working class. Regarding mass mobilization, we must first correct the misconception that the long-term strategic approach of preserving our forces means restricting our mass organizing only to narrow secret mass organizations. All comrades must understand that the preservation and protection of our forces is only possible in the lap of the broad masses. We must therefore resort to the widest possible legal mass organizing while maintaining a correct balance between legal and illegal forms of organization and struggle. This direction towards broad mass organizing should therefore be one of the crucial components of the campaign to reorient and reorganize the party. We should mobilize through fractional work in various types of existing organizations and through different cover organizations and constantly devise new creative means to go among the masses without being exposed. We should not worry excessively that our struggles and slogans are not read and revolutionary enough. As long as we are among the masses and drawing them into struggle, we will be able to politicize them and draw them to the revolutionary line and party. Where necessary, and where it is possible to mobilize on a large scale, we should also form or participate in legal democratic organizations, we can thus bring out the masses in large numbers on a democratic program. We should, however, not do such mobilizations where the numbers are likely to be small and our forces are likely to be exposed. The main focus of mass mobilizing and organizing in the cities should be the working class. We should pay particular attention to the trade unions and other working class organizations. We should also organize in the Basties, where the working class resides along with other sections of the urban poor. After the working class and urban poor, we should pay attention to the organizations of the students and other sections of the petite bourgeoisie. 5.5. Recruit and develop party leadership from the working class. We should have a strong proletarian orientation in our party-building process. In this regard, we should pay particular attention to the 9th Congress Resolution in this respect. We should therefore concentrate on building the party in the factories and other centers of the working class work. Even within the organizations of women, youth, and students, we should pay particular attention to recruiting from proletarian backgrounds. We should pay particular attention to the education of proletarians in order to quickly bring them into the party in larger numbers. After recruitment, we should have measures and programs for training and developing party leadership from among them. 5.6. Reorganize the tech mechanism in the cities. Except for the cities and towns within and adjacent to the guerrilla zones facing severe repression, the tech mechanism in most cities is very loose and primitive. We are mostly developing our tech methods as a process of reacting to the immediate enemy threat rather than as a plan based on a long-term strategic approach. This spontaneous approach is very dangerous and must be drastically changed. We must therefore thoroughly overhaul the tech mechanism and methods of coordinating our open and secret work. For this, a gradual piecemeal process will not work. Such a process remains at the most partial and does not bring about the change required. Besides, the enemy is moving fast to set up its network in cities throughout the country. We should therefore drastically revise our basic assumptions regarding tech requirements. We must realize that we cannot plan on the basis of the immediate actions and appearances of the enemy. The state is planning on a long-term and all-India basis. Our planning, too, has to be on a long-term basis and cannot make much distinction between repression and, quote, non-repression unquote city the basic norms regarding operating under natural covers functioning strictly through layers cover organization methods and techniques of communication should be brought into implementation in all our urban work this however should only be the first step we should remember that our enemy is constantly studying and developing new methods against us Our approach and method, therefore, also has to be dynamic and creative. Thus, in the course of implementation of our guidelines, each one of us should further make additions, adaptations, and developments to these guidelines. Our tech mechanism, while standing on certain basic concepts and principles, should always advance and improve, thus always proving to be one step ahead of the political police. 5.7 Prepare the self-defense organs of the urban movement. In this respect, we are relatively backward. Though all city organizations form teams for performing specific actions, there has been hardly any progress and very little experience in building more stable self-defense formations. This is true of both open teams as well as the secret self-defense squads. We should fix targets now and not delay this task any longer. Where preparations are necessary, we should make the necessary preparations and form the teams. For open teams, a simple political organizational basis and a code of conduct should be drawn up. For secret squads, preparations for the necessary political and military education are important. There should also be full clarity among concerned comrades about the squad's line of command. Senior comrades should take responsibility to see to the successful completion of this task. 5.8. Take up work in key industries. Our presence today in the key industries is extremely low. With the advance of the People's War, it is a pressing need that we enter into key industries and establish a strong base there. All higher committees should therefore keep this in mind when drawing up plans. We should make plans for key industries based on the importance of the industry, the openings available for entry, and the subjective forces we have available for such type work. 5.9. Infiltrate into enemy organizations. This too is an area where we are practically non-existent and where we must make a beginning. We should thus plan for this at various levels. We should make use of opportunities for entry into the police, paramilitary, and military forces. We should very secretly follow up contacts of those already within these forces. Where possible, we should enter into them from the outside. Such work should be guided directly by the higher committees without informing the local bodies. We should regularly conduct propaganda regarding the problems of the ordinary constables and soldiers. We should pick up the burning issues concerning them and arouse them to agitation. We should also make a study of containment towns, ordnance factory areas, etc. with the purpose of formulating a plan for work in such zones. We should also try to collect and generate the type of forces who would be able to do such sort of work. 5.10. Build the United Front in the Urban Areas Our urban united front work involves, on one hand, the building and strengthening of the Worker-Peasant Alliance, and on the other hand, the building of unity between the working class and other urban sections and classes. As mentioned earlier, the Worker-Peasant Alliance is not only the task of those towns adjacent to the guerrilla zones and other areas of rural struggle, the metropolitan and industrial cities relatively delinked from the countryside should particularly concentrate on various ways to advance the worker-peasant alliance. Propaganda, solidarity struggles, participation of workers in peasant agitations, direct help to the rural struggles, are some of the programs to be undertaken. At the same time, based on the concrete situation, other new and more creative ways of strengthening the unity of two basic revolutionary classes should be developed. The united front with other classes will mainly be through issue-based or program-based joint front organizations. Though these may be legal for quite some time, depending on the broadness of the front, we should be prepared to run the UF organizations from underground too, like the NDF in the Philippines when confronted with brutal fascist rule. While participating widely in these, we should correct our sectarian errors in building such joint fronts and our bureaucratic dealings within them. The higher committee should constantly guide and plan for advancing and broadening our united front work. As pointed out throughout this chapter, the policies of liberalization, globalization, and privatization have had great impact on the urban areas. Almost all the toiling sections in the cities have been hit badly by these policies. This has time and again led to spontaneous outbursts of various sections on various partial issues without a clear direction. Now, however, the struggles have got more organized and focused against the very policies themselves, with the working class coming out in the leading role. Since the beginning of 2000, numerous major working class struggles have broken out and continue to spread and grow unabated. Not only are these struggles spreading to all corners of the country, they are also marching in time with the anti-capitalist struggles going on in various parts of the globe. Even the reactionary wind after the military advances of imperialism in Afghanistan has not been able to beat back the growing struggles. These working class struggles have been joined by the struggles of the employees, teachers, etc. They are also inspiring the urban poor in the slums and the struggles of the semi-proletariat with anti demolition and anti eviction struggles again taking on a militant character. Even the national bourgeois small capitalists are militantly taking to the streets against industry shifting, new taxes, high electricity rates, etc. The roots of most of these struggles emerge from the imperialist policies of globalization, liberalization, and privatization, and are therefore being focused more and more directly against these policies. Thus, a favorable condition exists in the urban areas for the building of broad fronts against imperialism, and this situation is likely to continue for quite some time.